Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we welcome you as you are. Persons of all religions, ethnic and racial origins, sexual orientations, abilities, and other circumstances. I want to especially welcome our visitors this morning. I'm so glad you're here. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. So let's take a moment to greet the holy among us by turning to our left and our right and maybe even around and greeting the people around you. Many Unitarian Universalist churches, including this one, have a tradition of beginning our services by lighting a chalice. So please look in your order of service for our words for lighting the chalice and repeat them with me. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Today's opening words come from a 1967 speech by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. It really boils down to this, that all life is interrelated. We are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied to a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. We are made to live together because of this interrelated structure of reality. This is the way our universe is structured. This is the interrelated quality. We Unitarian Universalists are a pluralistic bunch. We come from a variety of faith traditions, and so sometimes we get asked, What binds us together? What ties us in that single garment of destiny? I think we share a set of religious values and a set of religious principles. And here at this church, we share a common purpose. We share a mission. And we put it on our wall and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. This next reading is also from Dr. King. It's from his eulogy for the Reverend James Reed. So I say to you this afternoon, my friends, that in spite of the tensions and uncertainty of this period, something profoundly meaningful is taking place. Old systems of exploitation and oppression are passing away. Out of the wombs of a frail world, New systems of justice and equality are being born. Doors of opportunity are gradually being opened. Those at the bottom of society, shirtless and barefoot people of the land, are developing a new sense of somebodyness, carving a tunnel of hope through the mountain of dark through the dark mountain of despair. People who stand in darkness have seen a great light. Here and there, an individual or group dares to love, and rises to the majestic heights of moral maturity. I invite you to join me now in a spirit of prayer, meditation, or quiet contemplation. Spirit of love and life, source of our call toward compassion and justice, enter this sacred space today. 
enter our hearts and stir us toward acts of compassion for those who are suffering, love toward those unknown to us, acts of justice when, continue, when conditions in our world are not consistent with our religious values. Help us to live out those values in our daily lives and in our world. Give us the strength to seek comfort and assistance when we need it and to offer comfort and assistance when others are in need. For such is the nature of this, our beloved community. Fill us with grace so that we may know joy. Fill us with courage so that we may bring about justice in our world. Fill us with a love beyond all words, a love that extends beyond those we already know and reaches out to the stranger, a life-giving and a life-saving love. Amen. Now I invite you to light candles in our window, candles of hope, remembrance, sorrows, or joys. Bloody Sunday, March 7th, 1965, Selma, Alabama. In reaction to the footage you just watched being broadcast across the evening news, people across America were horrified. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. dispatched a telegram calling on clergy of all faiths to join him in the struggle in Selma. And religious people, both clergy and lay people from all around the country, responded. They went to Selma and they stood in witness and solidarity following the leadership of the African Americans in whose struggle they had joined. Eventually, 500 Unitarian Universalist lay people and 250 of our ministers would march with Dr. King. And doing so changed them. It transformed them. As Reverend Mark Morrison Reed puts it in his new book, The Selma Awakening, they experienced in this visceral, emotional way the melding of their espoused religious values with putting those values into practice. Reverend James Reed was among the first Unitarian Universalist ministers to arrive in Selma, and he participated in the next march across that very same bridge you just saw in the video. This time, Dr. King himself led the march. They started from the Selma African, Amer African Methodist Episcopal Brown Chapel, where everyone had gathered, they marched across that bridge, and when they got to the other side and met the state troopers, Dr. King knelt for prayer. They all knelt with him, and they prayed together. And then Dr. King surprised them all by standing up, turning around, and leading them back to Brown Chapel. He later explained that a federal judge had put a temporary restraining order on the march and he feared for what would happen to those who were following him if they continued the march without that federal protection. He pleaded with those gathered there to stay a few more days in the hopes that the judge would issue an order allowing the march to go forward. Most of them did. That evening, 
Reeb and two other UU ministers, Arlof, Arlof Miller and Clark Olson, had dined at Walker's Cafe, an African-American establishment, because they had, told, had been told they wouldn't be safe if they tried to eat at one of the whites-only restaurants. As they left the cafe to walk back to Brown Chapel, they were attacked by a group of four or five white locals, at least one of whom was carrying a large club of some kind. He struck James Reeb in the head, knocking him to the ground. They eventually tackled all of them to the ground and began kicking them in the head, screaming, you want to know what it's like to be a nigger around here? Soon afterwards, James Reeb fell into an unconscious state from which he never awoke. Two days later, on March 11, 1965, Marie Reeb, his wife, had to make the difficult and painful decision to shut off the life support that was the only thing keeping his body alive. The murder of this white minister galvanized white Americans and Unitarian Universalists even further. And it did so in a way that the shooting of Jimmy Lee Jackson, the young black man you saw in that video who was shot by an Alabama state trooper a few days earlier, had not. President Lyndon Johnson called Reeb's widow. The Unitarian Universalist Association board adjourned a meeting it was holding so that board members could journey to Selma to attend Reeb's funeral. The memorial service was held at Brown Chapel on March 15th. Dr. King delivered the eulogy. That same evening, President Johnson appeared before a joint session of Congress and introduced the legislation that would later become the Voting Act, Rights Act. In doing so, he talked about the suffering endured by the peaceful protesters in Selma. He said, many were brutally assaulted. One good man, a man of God, was killed. Just a few days later, that judge ruled the march could go forward and ordered government protection for it, and on March 21st, it did, protected by troops sent by President Johnson. Now, there is absolutely no doubt that Dr. King's and his leadership's organizing and rhetorical skills were by far the primary factors that brought these changes about. Still, there is an irony in the fact that as Reverend Bill Sinkford, former president of the Unitarian Universalist Association, has written, racism was at work even in the way the victory in Selma was achieved. The death of Jimmy Lee Jackson, a black man, did not receive widespread press attention. It did not result in hundreds of white clergy coming to stand in solidarity. It did not produce support from the federal government or the president. It took the death of James Reeb, a white man, to do that. In the Selma Awakening, Mark Morrison Reed notes that the clergy and lay folk who had been so viscerally and emotionally awakened by their experience in Selma returned to churches and a religious denomination not prepared to move beyond an intellectual commitment to religious values such as equal opportunity, integration, and racial justice, which were all rooted in this idea of universal brotherhood. Such was the male-centered language of their time. 
They returned to encounter fellow Unitarian Universalists who couldn't understand what those who had gone to Selma now did. That true integration couldn't mean assimilation. That what was needed was a melding among equals, and that required black empowerment. A few few years later, what has become known as the black empowerment controversy would erupt within Unitarian Universalism. And that could be and has been the topic of many other sermons. Reed notes that for both the Universalist and the Unitarians before the merger, as well as after they merged in 1961, there was this disconnect between these espoused religious values and their values in practice. He cites the following as evidence of this dichotomy. Worship devoid of hymns and liturgy reflecting the African-American experience and a desire for more emotive, embodied spirituality. Religious education materials that rarely reflected African-Americans at all. Resistance to training, fellowshipping, and calling African-American ministers. Congregations and fellowships that tended to be fervidly intellectual, individualistic, and humanistic, and that most often located themselves in suburban areas away from black population centers, often at the end of a dead-end street where it might be hard for someone not invited to find them. Very few African Americans serving on governing bodies, both at the denominational and at the individual church levels. And yes, Some of these continue to be a struggle for us. Though we have made great strides, our march out of Selma continues even today. Another Unitarian Universalist also did not come back from Selma, but she wasn't honored and lionized in the way that Reverend Reeb was. For many years, her story was rarely, if ever, told because A, she was a woman, and B, she was a woman. This is so as another example of values and practice failing to uphold our espoused values. Viola Luizo was a member of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Detroit, and she volunteered for the NAACP. She was married and had five children. She answered the call to Selma by getting in her car and driving there. This was against her family's objections. On the day that the march triumphantly entered Montgomery to end in a joyous rally at the Alabama State Capitol, she was helping by driving marchers back to Selma. On a return trip to Montgomery, a car full of KKK men drove up beside her, fired directly at her, hitting her twice in the head and killing her instantly. Her car careened off the road and came to a stop when it hit a fence. One of her sons later spoke of how his father's hair had turned from black to gray seemingly overnight, of how after her death her family endured crosses being burnt in their yard, of how he and his siblings were beaten up at school and told that their mother deserved what she had gotten because as a white woman, she should never have been there in the first place. 
I'm pleased to say that today she's honored in a memorial at our new Unitarian Universalist headquarters building alongside the males who had died at Selma. All white juries in Alabama acquitted the Klansman who killed Viola Louisa of murder. Likewise, all white juries acquitted the men who had killed James Reed. A grand jury failed to even indict the state trooper who murdered Jimmy Lee Jackson. In 2007, charges against that trooper, James Fowler, were revived. He pled guilty to manslaughter and spent a whole of five months in jail. And these failures of our justice system seem a little bit too much like what we're seeing on our televisions across this country today. Let's watch one more video. So though much has changed, still, we live in a time when the prosecutor in the Michael Brown case allows grand jury testimony by a witness key to upholding the story that the police officer who shot him was telling, even though that prosecutor knows that that person has made racist statements and that that witness was likely not even there at the site of the shooting on the day that it occurred. We live in a time when the coroner rules Eric Garner's death a homicide, and yet a grand jury fails to invite the officer we have all seen, holding him in a chokehold as he cries, I can't breathe. We live in a time when police shoot and kill a 12-year-old African-American boy for holding a pellet gun in a city park and a 22-year-old African-American young man for holding a toy rifle in a Walmart. And yet white, open carry advocates can roam the aisles of our stores and parade through our streets holding up actual semi-automatic weapons and absolutely nothing happens to them. We live in a time when even some peaceful protests have been met with military equipment, billy clubs, and tear gas. We live in a time when our criminal justice system is much more likely to search, arrest, charge, convict, and sentence to prison people of color than whites who have committed the very same crimes. Then, once convicted of a felony, we live in a system that often prevents these same people of color from being able to access federal benefits, find employment and housing, and yes, often bars them from voting. We live in a time when the Supreme Court has gutted a key element of that very same Voting Rights Act that those folks in Selma struggled and suffered and sometimes died for. We live in a time when states around this country, including this one, are passing laws clearly intended to disproportionately prevent people of color from voting. We live in a time when lynching and Jim Crow have never completely left us. They've just morphed into new institutional forms. I think that we Unitarian Universalists, we are receiving telegrams again, beckoning us to rejoin and redouble our efforts in the struggle again. And like those Unitarian Universalists that went to Selma, we are called to show up, 
to put our religious values into living practice. I think this church, this congregation has the means and a mission that compels us to do so. Sunday, March 8th of this year, Unitarian Universalists and others from around the country will cross that bridge in Selma again to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the original march. I hope a sizable contingent from this church will be able to join them. If you're not already participating, the church has a wealth of social action and interfaith activities relating to combating racism and its effects on people. I hope you'll think about visiting the social action table today and find out how you can get involved. Over the coming months, we'll have several opportunities to participate in religious education and discussions about multiculturalism and working against racism and oppression. Please, join in. I believe that ultimately we are called to do this because engaging together as allies in the struggle for racial equity is how we, all of us, can be transformed. Systems of oppression and silos of otherness prevent us all from reaching our full human potentiality. Breaking them down is how we can know the interconnectedness and love and unbridled community that are luring us toward a world that is more life-giving, more loving. It is how we reach for our greatest creative possibilities. Amen. Please join me in saying the words for extinguishing our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. We are bound together in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Martin Luther King's words still ring true and powerful today. And that means that even as we leave this sanctuary today, our work together as a beloved community goes on as we do justice that can transform both the lives of others and our own. Likewise, the courage, community, and compassion we experience here together go with us also. Go in peace. Go in love. Blessed be. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.